If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard and Jen McQueen. U.S. President Joe Biden is in Ottawa for a sleepover with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Here's hoping the elder statesman can teach the second generation Prime Minister a thing or two about uniting a country rather than dividing it. Here's Scott Thompson. I'm questioning which room in the house too. Shower for the best echo? I'm not sure. Uh, good afternoon. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, it is Hamilton today playing Brian Ferry. Will Weber is on the board. Uh, 150, number 150 on Rolling Stones top 200 singers of all time. Uh, happy Friday to you. Glad we made it this far. Poll question of the day today asking you, uh, starting at a gap of 8,000 deeply affordable units, uh, housing units in Hamilton, which level of government do you do, uh, must do more to address the housing crisis. You can pick that 900CHML.com's Twitter page. And yesterday, in the light of Toronto MP Han Dong's resignation from the Liberal Caucus uh, in the Chinese meddling scandal, should it force Prime Minister to launch a public inquiry? 91% of you are saying yes. Feel free. Weigh in. Love to hear from you on our Twitter page. All right. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, it is the most exciting day in Ottawa today uh, since I think a pre-COVID tulip festival. They are just uh, giddy falling over themselves. The town that fun forgot is hosting the prime, uh, sorry, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, for a sleepover. And uh, right now he is speaking and, and chatting and, and addressing the House of Commons. Uh, everything's running behind schedule. Uh, he's a bit of a chatty Kathy. So, uh, he, and he's very friendly. I mean, he came out, I, I saw that it's, he, he, it's still going on now. I, I was watching the beginning of it. Starts making jokes about uh, hockey, saying he loves the Canadian teams, except for the Leafs. You can imagine what that brought. Uh, and of course... <laughs> Scared the hell out of me, uh, and 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 obviously uh, because, uh, as he said, his family Philadelphia Flyers fans and the Leafs beat them, so he wasn't too happy about that. But there you go, uh, that's what's going on. A very personable president, and again, here's hoping uh, we can at least learn the lesson of unity off this guy uh, as he addresses the House of Commons now. Speaking of unity, the two Michaels are in attendance at the speech, which is going on right now, and also the dinner tonight. So fascinating turn of events, especially when uh, we hear about the Liberal MP and uh, the allegations uh, that he was advising China to keep them uh, in until it better suited the election. So fascinating turn of events that, boom, they are there. And uh, you can imagine got a standing ovation uh, in the House of Commons today. Here's uh, what Global News' Jackson Proskow had to say about the visit. And again, you know, a lot of people talking about their favorite issues, but uh, here's what's important to the U.S. and Jackson should know. He's down there. 
because we know it's a big issue for both countries. Then you've got people crossing the border illegally in both directions uh, at Roxham Road in uh, Quebec, of course. Uh, and, you know, Canada has seen more than 50,000 people enter from the United States uh, illegally and claim refugee status or asylum status in the past two years. The U.S. is increasingly concerned about the traffic coming in from Canada at that border crossing. And so any deal that would essentially stop that from happening and turn people back on both sides will likely pick up a lot of media attention in the U.S. So we're getting early reports uh, from some that there is some sort of deal that uh, it, it has been struck or what have you in regard to the border issue. No, no other details other than that, if this is even uh, valid or not. So, again, um, obviously, uh, things coming out of this as the uh, tour goes on, per se. But there is uh, rumors that, uh, in fact, the deal is being worked out and will be uh, during this visit. Uh, here's what the prime minister had to say about what was on the docket. How we deal with uh, changing geopolitical security contexts and how uh, we continue the important work of keeping our citizens safe and standing up for our values uh, everywhere around the world. We have no uh, greater friend and ally than the United States. And uh, obviously security going to be a, uh, a big issue in all of this, whether it's NORAD or uh, what have you moving forward. Certainly uh, Ukraine, there's also... A question about what the U.S. Uh, has in mind for Canada regarding Haiti, and uh, I'm not sure they are in agreement on that. Here's what the president had to say about uh, lucky to have a neighbor like us. It's an honor to be here. We have a lot to talk about, and uh, I, uh, I think we're gonna I think we get a lot done today. The one great thing, and I tell other world leaders I meet with when they ask about the geopolitical circumstances, well, I said we're lucky. We have Canada to our north, share these values. All the values are the same. And, you know, you can say what you want about uh, Joe Biden. Uh, I mean, he's he's totally loving this. Uh, it appears to be loving this visit. And he's he is taking his own sweet time meeting people, talking to people and uh, and and having conversations and such. So uh, that, that's why things are late. But he's he's really, really uh, seems to be a um, uh, an ambassador uh, type of visit in the sense that you can really feel that unifying factor. And, you know, that's something we haven't been hearing in politics uh, lately. It's all been divisive. It's all been, you know, you're on this side or that side. And that is one thing, whether, you know, you like Joe Biden's politics or not, and there's plenty of debate there as well, is that he has been able to unify in, in some cases um, both sides. And that is something that I think is uh, sorely needed in Canadian politics right now. Here's hoping we get that lesson from the elder statement. Uh, just watching out of the corner of my eye, Joe Biden addressing uh, Parliament in the House of Commons. The two Michaels uh, actually just uh, introduced by Joe Biden and, uh, of course, have received a, uh, a standing ovation. Uh, oddly enough, it was just uh, a little while ago, a day or so ago, that uh, uh, reports came out of that MP in North Valley, uh, uh, Don Valley North, that, um, that uh, of course, had stepped down from the Liberal Party, uh, away from the Liberal Party, uh, due to allegations that he was trying to delay the release of the two Michaels and such. And uh, wow, oddly enough, today, there they are sitting in Parliament uh, and will attend the dinner tonight, from what we understand. Let's bring in Gordon Holden, Director, Emeritus China Institute and Professor of Political Science, University of Alberta, and with us now. Gordon, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Scott. Yes, I am. 
So, Gordon, your thoughts on what has transpired and how the two Michaels names have come up of late and the fact that they're sitting, uh, I'm watching them now, uh, in the House of Commons, uh, listening to an address by Joe Biden. It's extraordinary. I spoke to Michael Covert just a few weeks ago, but uh, I had not anticipated that there would be these most recent revelations. It may have been already the plan of the government, of the parliament, to include them in the in the dinner and in the um, House of Commons address by Biden. But the the fact that just days before yet another release of allegations whereby an MP is said to have, an MPA is said to have urged the delay in their release, it's electrifying. Um, this is uh, a controversy that just doesn't stop and, in fact, increases in volume and seriousness Um not just week by week, but it seems almost day by day. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, we're just hearing reports now that the uh, today, rather, that the prime minister's office had seen transcripts from CSIS and nothing to see here. That wasn't um, and nothing stood out. Your thoughts? Well, if that is accurate, i.e. that transcripts were seen in the office that delineated specifically that uh, a serving MP was urging delay in the release of two citizens unjustly held by the Chinese, that's shocking. Um, whether it's illegal is another question. It may not be, but it's shocking, and I think it's appropriate that this individual faces these allegations, um, steps aside for the time being, uh, but it does raise the questions of who's minding the chicken coop, uh, who is... Um, paying attention to the information that's being provided. To be quite frank, Scott, I'm not entirely comfortable with a torrent of information coming out of CSIS. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the way it should be run. I don't think we, that the Americans want CIA to be releasing dossiers all the time. The system, when it works well, the government should then respond to the information in there. And while it's titillating to read this stuff, I don't think we should be in some cases. Uh, yeah, you're, you're kind of every day waiting for another shoe to drop and something else to uh, to come out to take it even farther. Um, that being said, and, and some are questioning the reporters, some are questioning, um, um, you know, how authentic any of this is. Or, or and again, these are all unproven at this time, obviously because they're secret sources. Uh, Thomas Mulcair, the head of the ND, former head of the NDP, said on CTV recently, "No one's denying it, and that's telling." What does that say? Well, I think the policy often is do not deny because you confirm or deny that tells sends information as well. On right. do you have mm-hmm. a given weapon? You yes or answer yes or no, and if your answer will then provide more information. What rings true to me, and I spent no shortage of my um, thirty-two years in in foreign service um, dealing with intelligence material. I must say that the the information. The, the language used and the bureaucraties used does seem to me either if it's a fake, it's somebody who really knows things particularly well. And I have mm. a feeling that it's uh, this information is probably accurate. It's not necessarily the whole story. Um, yeah. I learned that much. You're given an intelligence report. You evaluate it. It's a piece of the puzzle. It's usually not the whole story in and of itself. And you want to see sometimes the actual raw material it's based upon. But I find it a bit hard to believe that this is all created in somebody's basement uh, with no mm. um, direct knowledge of the events that they're describing. 
So that being said, uh, and again, as you made reference to, the two, the two Michaels could have been invited to this long before this information uh, broke uh, the other day. That being said, what kind of back behind the scene conversations are going on here? I mean, I, I can't imagine what the conversations are like uh, behind closed doors regarding this issue and them being there. Well, I think it's appropriate that they're there. Um, I think the, uh, the U.S. Congress has done this for many years, uh, have hostages have been released, yeah. uh, people who have um, done, done exceptional service to be present. So I, I think, yes, it is appropriate that, that they're there. They've been more or less very, mm-hmm. very low key. I've spoken with just one of them in the time that they've been since they've been released. But you're right. There will be um, uh, a buzz of, of information. And the fact that they feature so highly in a super high-level visit, I and mean, Biden's the most important visitor that we can have, quite frankly, um, and that this is um, that this is a top line of the story, the president of the two Michaels, um, it's, again, just when you thought things were sort of maxed out, there's another yeah. story. And that's what really separates the Canada-China relationship from the past. In the past, there have been crises in the relationship, Tiananmen, etc., various controversies, sometimes related to security issues, sometimes not. But now it is front and center, also a domestic political story. And that, to me, is the first time that's been the case. Um, uh, can you provide us any insight, Gordon? You said you talked to one of the two Michaels just a few weeks ago. Um, anything you can tell us, share with how this experience perhaps affected them? I wish I could, but I, to be quite honest, it was a business-like um, conversation. Yeah. Um, he was looking for some information. I helped him out. Um, Michael Govert's back working for his previous organization, right. uh, the Crisis International, and I helped him, and we had a chat. And So I, I can honestly say that nothing like that transpired, as in Fascinating. how is it going. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see what the fallout and what the breakdown is of this visit over the course of the week. Uh, Gordon Holden with us, Director Emeritus, China Institute, Professor of Political Science, University of Alberta. Gordon, thank you for sharing, uh, sharing your thoughts. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. We've talked about TikTok and uh, places that are banning it and such. And also, it was on, I got a phone call from my daughter in university. Hey, John, have you heard about this? This chat GPT thing? Don't tell anybody. It's like, well, I think we've already talked about it. Uh, but it's an artificial intelligence thing. And, um, you know, um, I want an essay on hmm, the automobile industry, just just hit a button and off you go. Is it that easy? Let's bring in Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist. He's with us now. Carmi, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Hello, Scott. Great to be here. Yeah, I know. Let's not ruin your daughter's secret. Shh. If we don't yeah. talk about it, then no one else will use you know, it. Well, the first thing I said to my daughter is, how do I know about this before you do? Like, what the heck are you doing up there? Like, what is your head in the cloud or something? No pun intended. But tell everybody what chat GPT is. ChatGPT is what's known as an artificial intelligence-based chatbot. It kind of looks like a search engine. Uh, and to a certain extent, it's almost like what search becomes when it grows up, the next generation of search. But there's a lot more going on beneath the surface. So basically what you do is you tell it to do stuff, and it does it. So you can have it write a poem about you. You can have a, have it write a, a, an article or a 
paper, an academic paper uh, about a certain subject in a certain style in somebody's voice. Uh, I asked it to write a haiku about me and it was strangely precise. It kind of freaked me out. Um, and in some cases, it can do your homework for you. It can actually do an exam and actually pass that exam. Um, and so basically what it does is it is they trained it using massive amounts of data from the open internet, stuff that we've been posting for years. Uh, and mm. and it goes through all that information and it processes. So rather than just asking it a bunch of keywords and then it spits back a list of links like a search engine, it actually takes it takes that question and then it does something with it and it gives you a largely completed result. Uh, so it's way beyond search. Um, but of course, like any technology, it's got a bit of a dark side. It's not always precise. Sometimes it's outright wrong. It will spread misinformation, doesn't really know how to filter itself. In some cases, it kind of goes rogue, does things that are a little bit weird. So we're still very early in this technology, but it is, it almost feels like it felt when Google first went live in the late 90s. It was like, whoa, something has changed here. And that's really where we're at now. It's really the first application of artificial intelligence to move out of the lab and into the hands of millions of people like you and me. And that's why it's generating so much attention. So where do you draw the line here? I mean, if you're a university or a professor, how do you stay <laughs> ahead of this? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the first thing you do is you don't ban it outright. And, you know, universities in particular and post-secondary education, uh, I mean, I you think back decades when whenever any new technology was introduced, think about pocket calculators, uh, laptop computers, smartphones, wireless access. Yeah. Every single time these things have become a reality, schools have said, whoa, 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 hang on a second, we can't do that. And a number of schools have banned it only to reverse it eventually because students mm. are smart. They'll figure out ways around it. So schools are now updating their curriculum to recognize that these tools are out there. So how do we're not going to stick our heads in the sand and ignore the fact that they exist. We're going to incorporate them into the way we're going to, for example, maybe there'll be a lesson where we ask students to go out and use chat GPT to do some research, and then we'll take the results and use that for discussion in class. So it's, it's really updating wow. our methods of education to accommodate the new technology because you can't stick your head in the sand. There's no way to ignore it. It's going to, kids are going to use it regardless of whether you tell them they can or they can't. Okay, so I'm thinking of my students' days and going back to, you know, Cole's notes. Well, at least you rewrite it in your own words. I mean, is that what this is? Okay, I want an essay on whatever, and then I just rewrite it. That's still yeah. pretty easy, and, Carmen. And, and, and it, it, basically, it's sort of like if you're a student or, you know, if you're anyone else, you're a, you're a knowledge worker, you have a job, you have a toolkit. And we all have a toolkit now, and those toolkits mm -hmm. have lots of tools in there, in there. We use Google, some of us use Bing, we use social media, we use email, we use web searches. We have, some of us have our favorite websites and resources. And so you just add this onto the list. And, you know, so for example, I, I've been using it for the last couple of months to just kind of roll up my sleeves and see what it can do. And sometimes when I'm writing an article, I'll just say, I wonder what ChatGPT thinks. And I'll take, I'll, I'll ask it a few questions. And I'll look at some of the answers and I'll, I'll go, okay, maybe that inspires me to get started. So rather than starting from a blank sheet of paper, I've got something up on the side that I can use as a starting point. It's a thought starter. And I've been using Google for the same way for years. You do a bunch of searches, see what comes back, and it sparks your brain. I think a, a, an AI-based chatbot can do the same thing. The danger is, is there's some people who think, oh, yeah, I can just you know ask it a question, cut and paste the yeah. answer, and I'm done. No, because guess what? 
ChatGPT is also included, or the company that run, that owns ChatGPT, OpenAI, they're introducing a tool that allows professors, allows teachers sure. to find out when someone's used the tool. So no, plagiarism with the tool, not a good thing, but certainly using it as an inspiration to kind of leapfrog you a little bit, not a bad thing at all. Uh, and I was saying that to my daughters. They don't think that universities don't have some sort of uh, program that, uh, you know, looks for this sort of thing. But you bring up a very valid point here. And again, times change in the way we accumulate research, the way we do research. But at the end of the day, whether you're doing it the old way or the new way, research is research. Plagiarism is plagiarism. It, it really is just like you said, the toolbox. It's just different things at your access. That doesn't mean uh, you have to cheat. Exactly. Like, I'm not going to cut and paste what, what comes out of the chatbot and, and pass it off as my own. It's clearly not in my voice. I didn't have any input into it. Uh, there's really yeah. no value there. And I certainly didn't learn anything if that's all I'm doing. But if I am using it, if I'm taking a bunch of research outputs from ChatGPT and I'm incorporating that into the pile of things that I must consume and get my head wrapped around, then I think that's a good thing because ultimately in the end, I'm still producing the work. I'm just approaching it a little bit differently using more modern tools. Uh, and I think, you know, and, and I've taught writing at a college level before, and it's pretty darn clear. You know when someone is submitting something that is not in their voice. You know when they've done the internet cut and paste. This is no different than that. Oh, uh, and man. I think anyone who thinks they can fool a human, yeah, not quite. The technology is, I'll, I'll give it this much, it's really good, but it's not quite human good just yet. All right, so uh, TikTok, uh, we see what's going on in the United States and, uh, and officials up there uh, getting questioned and such. Somebody said uh, it just eventually will be either banned or sold. What are your thoughts? Uh, we've never seen uh, a wall-to-wall -wall ban of an app in a country before like this on this scale. 150 million Americans, millions more use it every day. Um, so this really is new territory. And I don't think that's weird, really where the U.S. is going. I think they want to suggest that that is, that is their direction. I think they want to raise the stakes for the company and really force it to make some major concessions in terms of how it polices its platform, where it stores the data who has access to it, how it assures us that it is not being accessed by Chinese government officials, because that really is at the core uh, of much of the concerns over this app. And so uh, I don't think in the end, this is going to end up with TikTok going dark. We already saw uh, thousands of people protesting on Capitol Hill before the CEO uh, gave his testimony, basically saying, you know, don't turn TikTok off, you will ruin an entire economy. That's my career you're talking about. So I don't think it's mm -hmm. going there. But I think really what they're trying to do is reinforce to TikTok and their Chinese owner, ByteDance, we really mean business. Uh, and, and don't just pretend, uh, to, you know, to placate us, you've got to make some real fundamental changes if you want to continue to do business in the US. And I think Canada is watching as well. We've already banned it on uh, federal government employee devices. All the provinces and territories have followed suit, cities everywhere as well. Uh, and so I think we're watching what's happening now in the U.S. and thinking, well, whatever they do, we're going to follow their lead. So uh, I don't think it's going dark, but I really do think the terms under which we use it are going to change significantly in the months to come. Carmen Levy with us, technology analyst and journalist, everything from chat, GPT to TikTok. <laughs> wow. It's like we're speaking a different language, Carmi. Uh, thanks for the time, as always. Be well. It's so great being here, Scott. Have an amazing weekend. And Carmi, as you're saying to yourself, yes, that's what we are exactly doing, speaking a different language. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton.
today with Scott Thompson on Hamilton's News. Today's talk 900 CHML. You might remember that during the uh, Queen's funeral, what a big tattoo that was, obviously very historic, and uh, dignitaries there from all over the place. And remember, that's where the uh, Prime Minister had the sing-song at the piano bar. Uh, anyway, uh, there was rumors surfacing about a $600 a night. Sorry, 6000 I know, it just sounds so bizarre. Think of this, $6,000 a night, not 1000 not two or three thousand, but six thousand dollars a night for one hotel suite. And that's a night over, I think it's five days, five nights. So, uh, everybody was like, who is it? Where is it? It was a big deal between, uh, the uh, opposition and whatever. And they just wouldn't come clean. And now we know that in fact, yes, it was the prime minister and his wife, Sophie, that stayed in the six thousand dollar a night room during the Queen's funeral for five nights. Franco Terrazano is with us, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Federal Director. Franco, I'm sure, uh, is this, first of all, does this surprise you? Is this just information waiting to come out? <laughs> Doesn't it? Well, look, I don't think you had to be Sherlock Holmes to solve the mystery of who it was who stayed in the $6,000 yeah. night hotel room, right? Like when the Governor General immediately came out and said, hey, it wasn't me. I think all Canadians yeah. knew it was Trudeau. What was so frustrating, I mean, even just set aside the point that our Prime Minister was staying in a $6,000 per night luxury hotel suite that had its own complimentary butler service while so many Canadians were struggling back home, even setting that aside, the most frustrating part is, like, why, why don't you just come clean with Canadians? Right, like, why, like I know, like, I, like this was su- this was such a fiasco. I mean, did they? They must have known sooner or later that this would come out in the wash. Well, they did, and let me tell you why. Because we filed an access to information request asking who it was who stayed in that hotel room. The bureaucrats wrote down the name Justin Trudeau, then they blacked it out, they redacted it, and they gave us these bogus, bogus, bogus rationales for why they had to redact the ATIP. So what we did is we lawyered up and we launched a legal challenge and they knew that they were going to lose in the courts and be forced to disclose this information. So that's why Trudeau finally fessed up and told the truth with taxpayers. It's because he knew the courts were going to force them to do that. Wow. And, you know, just considering everything else that's happening right now, it's like Canadians have got bags over their head. They have no idea what's going on. Yeah, no kidding. And let me just say one more thing, too, right? Let's not pretend. (laughs) Let's not pretend any other reason other than Trudeau trying to bury the story as the reason why he came clean with Canadians last night. Right. The night Hmm. when President Joe Biden is coming to town is the night that the prime minister's office decides to tell Canadians it was him. Why did they do that? Only one reason. They want to put it out the night when the president's coming because they hope that there will be so much news going on uh, that that it won't get the proper coverage that it deserves. Uh, I think it's a little late for that. Um, Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Franco, like I try to do. Uh, It's like the Super Bowl, Franco. It's the Queen's funeral. It's a historic event. We all know when you go to an event like this, they double and triple the price of the hotel room. So everything's going to be expensive. Well, you know what? When you can save money staying at the (laughs) Shangri-La, you know you spared no expense. They could have actually saved money staying at the Four Seasons, the Savoy, the Shangri-La, right? That just tells you the fact that the government really was not thinking of uh, the taxpayer back home who's struggling 
when they decided to put Trudeau in the $6,000 per night hotel room. So, yeah, the bureaucrats really messed, messed it up. But, you know, it's Trudeau who's the prime minister. It's Trudeau uh, who is responsible for looking after our money. So the blame has to stay on Mr. Trudeau. Uh, I understand the U.S., uh, like there's houses, whatever, uh, embassies they can stay in. Is that ever an option for the Canadian prime minister? Was it in this situation? You know, I'm not sure. Um, But even that, I think, kind of clouds the situation, right? At the end of the day, this isn't really rocket Mm. science. Um, Our prime minister should know that, hey, maybe I don't stay in the river suite, a $6,000 per night hotel room uh, for five nights for a total tab of $30,000. You know, maybe I don't stay in a hotel room that comes with a complimentary butler service. It's it's really that simple. Is it all inclusive, though, Franco? Maybe he gets free (laughs) drinks with that. Does he get free (laughs) drinks? Come on. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, I mean, this whole story is is really so bizarre. And remember, you had me on the show to talk about some of the reasons the bureaucrats gave for redacting the information in the first place. Remember, they were citing security concerns? Yeah. Well, it really just goes to show, uh, now that the prime minister has come out and said it was him, that those security rationales were really just bureaucrats trying to bend the rules to withhold information from taxpayers. All right, Franco Terrazzetto, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Federal Director, being a thorn in the side of the president when they revealed that $6,000 night hotel suite during the Queen's funeral for five nights was the Prime Minister and his wife. Franco, thanks for the time. Be well. Hey, you too. Thanks for having me on. Well, you know, when you're stressed out, you got to go out and you got to exercise. You got to, you got to just run. And that's exactly what Dave Woodard's doing. The 129th edition of the Around the Bay Road uh, race coming up this Sunday. And, you know, I, I didn't think about this, but also with the situation in the Renault's at First Ontario Center. And this is the cool thing about the race is you get the end inside of First Ontario Center and it's, you know, sit there and watch it all. It's great. Uh, so that's obviously going to be postponed for a bit until, uh, the Renault's are, are done. But uh, this will be the last year for that for the next couple of years. So let's bring in Dave Woodard, uh, of course, news anchor here at CHML and running the Around the Bay Road Race, along with Ken Mann, I do believe. Dave, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yeah, thanks. So uh, how many times have you done this? Because if I remember correctly, Dave, you got into running again later in life. Yeah, this is my first 30K. I did the uh, 5K around the bay last year, uh, but this will be my first time doing 30K and the first time I've actually done a race beyond 21.1. So this will be the longest race that I've ever done. I'm really excited for it. Uh, And I actually, I have to to, uh, hold up the standard for CHML because Ken's injured. He can't do it. This year, so oh, I'm, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm the only one from CHML that I know of that's running it this year. So that's that's incredible because of Ken. Ken, of course, the ambassador for yes. uh, CHML for the Around the Bay. It's sorry, I'm sorry to hear he won't be participating this year. Has he given you any tips? Has he given you any advice for this? Uh, you know what? He and I we both talk a, a lot about running when he's in the office. Obviously, you know it's it's like anything else. You if if, if you like. You know, car racing. You talk with your coworkers about car racing. We like road running, so that's what we talk about.
about. Uh, nothing specific to this race other than the second half is a real bear. It's all uphills, which is why yeah. we had Will play uh, Run to the Hills going into <laughs> coming into the break here. So it, it's just one of those things where it, it's a it's a really it is 30k, which is less than a, a normal um, marathon, marathon, but yeah. it's 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 very hilly in that second half. So it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I run with a lot of great people, so I'm looking forward to having a lot of fun. So you've done 21 up till now. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Okay. So yep. yeah, that's, that's a big stretch. And like you said, that last half is just grueling. Um, yeah. Any extra preparation? How do you prepare? Well, well, first of all, when did you decide? When did you decide you were going to do this? And, and how long have you been preparing any extra for this? For yeah. So I decided right after I did the 5K last year, I decided I was going to do the 30K this year. I signed up as soon as I could. And I had zero idea of how I was going to do it, Scott. I had no clue. Oh, man. Uh, so what I did was I joined a running group, actually, um, and uh, that were training for this race. We started back in January, and you kind of uh, – you start out pretty small doing, you know, a nine or ten kilometer runs, and, and you're – but every week we do those hills that are on, on the back half of the race. So it's one of those things that it's the best way to train for it in, in the sense that uh, we are getting those hills in, and you're getting used to doing that yeah. uh, so that when it – show when it comes up during that 30 kilometers you're not uh creeped out or freaked out by it <laughs> maybe you can even run it backwards dave does that count maybe not i guess uh <laughs> does that count Are the judges accept that I you wish. Up, you'll end up back at uh at first ontario exactly. center so what the heck so you've said you've been doing the hill hmm. so what's that been like for you um and 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 do you do you anticipate a time as you're you know coming around and it's like oh yeah, there's the hill i got to get into a different head space and then plow through that last portion. Yeah. So I think the big thing about the hills is that we have been practicing week after week. And at first it was really tough. Like you're going and you're like, there's no way I can make it up this hill. And and a lot of times you don't, you you take a a break to walk and that kind of thing. But uh, the people that uh, I've been running with are very good at what they do. So they, you know, give you the allowance, say, you know what, it's okay, you can walk and you can get up there, that's great. Uh, but then, the, you know, a couple of weeks later, let's try a little bit more, run a little bit yeah. slower, but get up the hill. So mm. we're getting to that point now. But the the issue with the hill is not the fact that there's the hill. The issue with the big hill, um, what they call Heartbreak Hill on Valley yeah. End Road, is that it happens three kilometers before the end of the yeah. race. <laughs> so it's you're racing for the tank you know, is empty. <laughs> yeah, you're running for 26 kilometers before you actually get to it. So it's 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 a, a huge challenge, but I'm looking forward to it. And do you have a goal for a time in mind? Or are you just why well, I just want to complete it? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I keep on telling people it's it's the only. Uh, I don't really worry about times. I, I worry yeah. about you know finishing it, whatever it's going to be. I've never done it before, so it's going to be my personal best. All right, Dave. Well, good luck to you. We are all cheering for you, Dave Woodard, CHML News anchor. Gonna do the big one all the way around the 129th edition of the Around the Bay Road Race. Good luck, Dave. We'll be cheering for you. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. The Ontario government tabled its budget yesterday, but of course, with there's so much federal news, uh, it's not really getting a lot. We'll talk about that with Dr. Ian Lee, Associate Professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. He's in the height of it all in Ottawa, and it's with us now. Ian, thanks for the time. I hope uh, you're doing well. Uh, are, do you notice there's a president in town there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I live in the center of Ottawa. 
and uh, the urban center. And, um, and of course, all roads lead from the airport to downtown where Parliament Hill is. I'm only about two kilometers, maybe three kilometers from Parliament Hill. And so when a president arrives, and this has happened before, um, they, they, when I say they shut down the streets, it is just a sight to behold. The last time there was a president, I believe it was President Obama, I inadvertently got caught. I was in my car and I was on a road that I didn't realize had been closed. And they just lock everything down. I mean, you can't move. You park your car. You turn off the engine. And I was stuck for an hour. And you should just see it. We're not talking 10 cars sailing by. There's a flotilla, an armada of of great big black SUVs. And I don't mean five or ten. Dozens and dozens. They're U.S. and they're Canadian and they're RCMP and there's Secret Service and the whole nine yards. It's really a sight to behold. And and so it's just a gigantic traffic jam. You cannot move. So the best thing to do is what I did. I just stayed home and hibernated. So uh, more vehicles for the presidential motorcade than the Freedom Convoy. Is that what you're saying here, Ian? Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> now, they're not trucks. They're not 18-wheel they're trucks. Not, they're, they're not beeping their horns. <laughs> Yukons. Imagine dozens and dozens of these huge black uh, GMC Yukons. It's it's our navigators. It's really something. It's really amazing. And motorcycles Uh, and and sirens. And it's I mean, it it's it's really a sight to behold. All right. So uh, obviously that's continuing in a big dinner tonight. The two Michaels are there. So uh, that's pretty cool. I watched the address or bits of it with the uh, president. All this kind of overshadowing the Ontario budget, which was tabled yesterday. Anything stand out there for you? Yes, um, I, there's some pluses and some minuses. Um, first, let's applaud the uh, Ford government for doing something that uh, both the McGuinty government and the Wynn government, because I'm comparing and contrasting, uh, didn't seem to be able to do in, in a long time. They have essentially balanced the budget. Ontario hasn't done mm. that in a long time. They have a very small deficit this year and next year. Their forecast, and I think it's likely they will go uh, into a surplus. And uh, so let's give them full credit that they were able to do what, uh, for over a decade, two previous governments just couldn't figure out how to do how to how to accomplish it. How much does so the pandemic am, play into? How much does the pandemic play into that, Ian? Um, there's always things that play into a, a surplus. You know, you could say it's pandemic. You could say it's inflation because yes, governments get more revenues, but they yeah. also spend a lot more too. At the end of the day. A deficit is a political decision, whether it's a liberal government or a conservative government or an NDP. And I've been arguing over and over. So I'm not being slavish or ideological about deficits. I'm just simply saying, if you want to spend more money, I understand that governments are elected to do things. Spend money on health care, for example. That's OK. But if you're going to spend more money on X, Y or Z, then make sure you reduce spending somewhere else to offset that. So hmm. the government, of Can- we're going to talk about Ontario in a moment. Governor Canada spends $400 billion a year. So if they want to announce $50 billion in new spending, good, take $50 billion out of the existing $400. The government of Ontario yesterday announced $200 billion in spending. So if you want to spend more in one area, that's good. Then take it out of another area that is no longer as productive. It's a sort of a variation on zero-based budgeting, which, oh my goodness, Jimmy Carter, the great progressive Jimmy Carter, advocated uh, when he was president. And so the so that way it's not stimulative, and therefore going to throw gasoline on the inflation fire. So let's give him credit for that. Now I want to tell you where I want I want to criticize what they did, and I was very disappointed on health care. I thought here's they've got they've been telling everybody we're going to take routine 
um, non-critical medicine treatments out of the hospitals. Hospitals are multi-billion dollar high technology enterprises, understandably so, filled with incredibly educated and trained and experienced doctors and nurses. And then and then there's still people in this country and in this province who want people to go there to these incredibly high tech medicines, uh, uh, infrastructures uh, for broken toenails or, you know, Mm. for an ingrown toenail. And and he had prepared the agenda for taking non-critical health care. You know, routine stuff, knees and hips, cataracts, that sort of thing, out. And then, you know, I read I read the critical section of the budget, and I thought, where's the beef? Show me the money. You know, mm. and I think it was eighty million dollars out of two hundred billion dollars for for uh, uh, these uh, these uh, clinics, and they're not. I won't call them private clinics because they're not. There are no more private clinics than is a, a GP's office. So they're there was a lot spent people. on healthcare. Where did it go then, Ian? Well, they put it into, okay, I understand. They put it into mental health issues and they into homeless. Great. But you could have t- reduced spending in some other areas, okay, mm-hmm. and reallocated money to this because we still have very serious queuing and very long wait lists. So here's my criticism. He didn't really fundamentally address the, the wait list. So that's the first problem. The second, and that's a big one. We're not talking something trivial yeah. and minor. This is huge. This affects all of us. The second major problem was he himself, and everyone agrees, we have a massive problem of massive shortage of housing in this country. He documented, and the the Minister of Finance documented all the red tape and all the barriers that have been put up by uh, councillors and mayors across Ontario and the big cities, and he didn't close the deal. He didn't close the sale. I was hoping he was going to announce some kind of a bold stroke where he was going to uh, give the right to the provincial, the Ministry of Housing, Minister of Housing uh, in Ontario, to uh, abrogate uh, those rules that mm. are there designed to slow down uh, growth because there's urban councillors and mayors that have this anti-growth development uh, attitude because they say it's causing global warming or ex- ex- uh, exacerbating global warming, when I do not believe it is, and there's no serious evidence for that. We have a desperate, desperate shortage, a million people, more are in Canada this year, and yeah, we are not yeah. taking the housing crisis seriously. And he did not go forward. He did some minor steps, but this requires radical steps. And I don't think that they went forward anywhere near far enough to address the housing crisis. Uh, getting enough pushback from municipalities as it is, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Could they have gone much farther and not face more uh, more uh, objection farther from the municipalities? Oh, for sure they're going to yell and scream. No question. Yeah. He could have, you know, used that against them saying, look, uh, you know, the, in the universities, we talk about uh, conscious bias and unconscious bias. You know, conscious bias is where you deliberately, overtly yeah. are biased. Well, what the municipalities, and he should be saying this, are engaged in unconscious bias against immigrants in try, in blocking housing. When we know there's a desperate shortage of housing for immigrants, this is unconscious bias towards immigrants. And this is wrong. And he should have taken and, and said, look, we're going to engage in moral leadership against those people who whether whatever their reason whether it's whether they think they've got good reasons or not are blocking the development of housing for our population which is growing very very quickly 
half a million a year. Every two years, we drop one new Ottawa into Canada. Ottawa's a million people. Hmm. Ottawa's a million people. So every year, every two years, we're increasing Canada by the population of Ottawa. And we have mayors and councillors who are saying, oh, no, 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 we can't build more houses. No, no, yeah. no, this is bad. Hmm. And this is wrong. And they should show leadership. And he did not show leadership on this. Dr. Ian Lee with us, Associate Professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University, on the Ontario budget. Ian, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. You know, I, the one thing, and, and I, you know, the guy's an incredible speaker. I was watching bits and pieces of uh, of the president and the joke he made about hockey and the Leafs and such. Uh, he really is a unifying guy, whether, you know, whatever uh, side your politics fall on this. And maybe that's something we can learn uh, from this visit. All right, let's talk more about that. Mackenzie Gray is with us, national reporter for Global News in Ottawa. And, of course, uh, Joe Biden in town. And it's all anyone is talking about there. Mackenzie, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? So far, so good. What's the buzz like there? I understand there are um, there are more vehicles in Joe Biden's entourage than we're at the whole Freedom Convoy thing. I mean, what's the buzz like there? <laughs> I don't know about that. I spent a lot of time on Biden's Convoy. There Certainly. are a lot more people here. But Joe Biden was giving him a run for his money. We have a really great view here in our office, and I'm looking at it right now. Well, we're looking over Parliament right onto Wellington Street, which is the street in front of Parliament Hill, looking over the War Memorial. And I didn't see it, but my colleagues did. There's like literally two minutes of like a hundred plus black SUVs just whipping up uh, Wellington Street. So, uh, you know, uh, when I was, I traveled with the prime minister uh, earlier this year to a number of different summits in Asia, including the G20. And uh, when the Americans are there, it's just another universe and level of security. And then when Biden leaves and the other world leaders are there, like the Brits or the French or anyone else, you know, it's just kind of like it is here. There is some security, but when Biden comes to town, it's on a whole other level. Well, you know, they do it big in the United States. Uh, there you go. So uh, obviously very cordial today. Uh, some really interesting points during the speech and such. Uh, that being said, and Biden said this when he came in, we're going to get a lot accomplished today. Will there be much concrete to come out of this? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, um, they, they've basically announced that they've renegotiated the third, Safe Third Country Agreement, which is... Um, mm-hmm. What was used for asylum seekers crossing at Roxham Road in Quebec, which is uh, basically a field that's been turned into a irregular border crossing between uh, upstate New York and Quebec. Uh, and the, the trick or the kind of loophole in that agreement was that if you crossed not at a regular border crossing, but across a field or what they're calling a regular border crossing, uh, you could claim asylum and not get sent back to the U.S. Right. But if you do that at a regular border crossing and say, nope, you came into the U.S., you've got to apply for asylum there. So that was a major political problem for Justin Trudeau, uh, and Joe Biden has agreed to get that done, which a few weeks ago seemed like it was absolutely not on the table. And if it did, Ottawa would have to give up huge concessions. Uh, the concession they gave up is that they, Canada is going to accept 15,000 migrants that are already in the U.S. from Central and South America to come here. Canada let in a million people last year, 15,000 migrants to come in uh, mm. is nothing to solve a political problem for Justin Trudeau. That is a major, major, major help from his buddy, Joe Biden. Many have said the detail, devil's in the details. Uh, from what you're seeing, Mackenzie, from here, is it much change or will there be more debate as this moves forward? On on the Safe Third Country Agreement? Yes. Yeah, no, uh, this is this is excellent. This, you know, for, for the prime minister's sake. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, Pierre Polyev uh, came out and spoke after. Uh, he met with Joe Biden for a little bit uh, and basically didn't have much to say about it. I haven't been able to read it. Uh, you know, the prime minister just uh, started his press conference right when we came on. Uh, and he said, you know, as of tonight at 12.01, you cannot do this anymore. Yeah. Um, that is exactly what the premier of Quebec had been asking for. That's exactly what Pierre Polyev had been calling for. Polyev had come out and said, uh, Mr. Trudeau, you need to close this within 30 days. I'm not sure on the exact number of days, but it's pretty close to that. So, so um, th- that's a big, huge political win for Justin Trudeau. I cannot underscore that enough. So uh, also the two Michaels there uh, in uh, listening to the address and then we'll also be at the dinner tonight. Um, considering what's been happening over the last 24, 48 hours, talk about the significance of them being there. Yeah, it was a very nice moment um, prior to the speech uh, with Biden in the House of Commons. All the MPs gave him a standing ovation. And then Biden in his speech um, also you know, basically thanked them and, and congratulated them on getting out. And I uh, said it was nice to see them there. So. Uh, a nice moment to see them both together, looking well. Um, and uh, here in Ottawa, uh, I don't think they've been together publicly since mm. they got home. Um, and, you know, for a, for a lot of people, I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, you spend a thousand plus days in a Chinese jail. You don't necessarily know how you're going to react after the fact. Uh, and yeah. both of them look uh, look very well, so that's uh, pleasant to see. And and uh, all sides of the house were very happy to see that as well, too. Mackenzie Gray with us, national reporter for Global News, uh, doing a great job. And not only because he's here with us, because he's here with us when there is a news conference going on that he should be watching. We will get away from this, Mackenzie, and let you back. Thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Obviously, the big story in Ottawa today uh, that uh, the U.S. Uh, president, uh, Joe Biden, is there. Uh, and they are just actually holding a news conference as we speak. A dinner later on, the two Michaels uh, there uh, for the dinner and were at the uh, speech as well a little earlier on. Uh, all of this comes as there's allegations from a uh, Don Valley North MP against the Don Valley North MP in regard to election interference uh, concerns, specifically around the two Michaels. And the allegation is, is that uh, he wanted the delay release to better suit uh, his party as opposed to the conservatives. There's that. And also today coming out uh, after the uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation went looking for the answer uh, that the government did confirm today that, in fact, uh, the six thousand dollar a night hotel room that was uh, stayed in. Remember, everybody's who stayed in the room, who stayed in the room for five nights along the Thames uh, during the Queen's funeral. Thirty thousand bucks, six thousand grand a night. Uh, and it was the prime minister and his wife, in case you uh, were keeping score. Duff Conagher with us now, co-founder of Democracy Watch. He is with us now. Duff, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. You too. Thank you. Stuff your thoughts. First of all, a new information coming out about this $6,000 a night hotel room during the Queen's uh, funeral and such, that historic event, finally coming out the same day that the Prime Minister, or the President of the United States is here. Uh, your thoughts on $6,000 a night for a hotel room? Uh, that's an awful lot. It is, and, isn't uh, it? Even with the exchange rate, uh, obviously the pound is is uh, worth more more than the Canadian dollar. But, uh, yeah, it, I, I don't know. Um, what can I say? It, it, and, and then Trudeau refused to answer, and so kind of covered up. And I mean, it's just symptomatic. Across the country, every politician, everyone in politics is effectively allowed to be dishonest, unethical, secretive, and waste uh, taxpayers' money with little account or no accountability. 
And this is just another example of dishonesty and lack of transparency and waste. Three is All right, you're the big four. Your thoughts on, um, obviously, the allegations that came out in the last day or so in regard to MP Han Dong, a liberal MP for uh, Don Valley North, in which uh, allegations made that he talked to a, uh, a Chinese consul and advised uh, delaying the release of the two Michaels so it wouldn't favor the conservatives. Um, we have the MP stepping down, denies all of this uh, and such, I guess, threatening legal action. Um, what what are your thoughts in all of this? And uh, Thomas Mulcair said an interesting thing the other day on CTV News. He said, um, I'm not sure we'll get any of this verified, but the fact that nobody is denying it speaks volumes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, verification is um, difficult, not impossible, with either an inquiry or uh, the House committee is, is back at uh, holding hearings on the issue. And opposition parties control uh, that party, and they can MPs on committees can be given security clearance and go behind closed doors to look at uh, information that would reveal national security secrets. The only thing that needs to be hidden is how this information is gathered. The information itself doesn't have to be hidden. I mean, that's you prosecute people for terrorism in Canada based on spy reports, and all that's hidden is how they gathered it, so that sources are protected. Um, but the information itself is used in the prosecution as evidence. So if there's solid evidence and it sounds like there is a recording and a transcript of the call, then that is solid evidence. And there's no reason why it can't be determined with looking at that, what he said and whether it amounted to, to uh, him saying what is alleged that, that he has said to the, the Chinese consul. Uh, there's a bigger issue about whether MPs should be contacting uh, diplomats, diplomats directly, yeah, representatives of other governments. They shouldn't be. And so it was. He admitted that he made the call, didn't initiate it, but took the call. You don't do that. Yeah, you just don't do that. You're an MP. You're not a representative of the government. You shouldn't be talking to other governments' representatives. Uh, the House of Commons, after that story broke, uh, then held a vote through the NDP, all the opposition, and I understand some liberals voted that this is it. There has to be a public inquiry. Is this the last straw? Does this prove positive? Will this push this over to a, a public inquiry and skip all of these steps that are going to take forever? Uh, probably not. Just And I say that based on what Trudeau's done in similar situations in the past, which is just continue to deny, continue to delay, uh, and try and set things up then to to uh, cover up and excuse uh, things that make the Liberals look bad. And that's what David Johnston is there to do. Uh, Trudeau picked his family friend, David Johnston, to, um, he's not independent in any way. He's working on a contract hired by the Prime Minister. You're not independent when you're working on a contract and you're hired by somebody. And um, so David Johnson's in a really bad situation. He should get out of it as soon as possible and just say, I never should have taken this job. I'm a family friend. It's wrong. And uh, I cannot judge the situation without uh, appearance of bias. Do you think the fact that... Do you think the fact that this information regarding this MP and the two Michaels that just broke the other day, I mean, do you think he's having those questions? Do you think he's saying, wow, we just got to go right to plan B here? Uh, he has a deadline of May 23rd um, reporting, but he can report earlier. 
And he could say tomorrow, I, it's just clear, uh, I made a mistake. I cannot be judging a situation involving a family friend. Of course you can't. It's a blatant conflict of interest. And uh, this is from David Johnson, a guy who wrote a book called Trust. He should know better. Hmm. And uh, Trudeau, of course, doesn't know better. He's shown that he has an ethical deficit several times since 2015. And uh, as a result, it uh, wasn't surprising at all that he tried to do this again. He's tried to do it in every situation he's been caught in and uh, w- and other situations where liberal cabinet ministers have been caught breaking ethics rules. Uh, but David Johnson should get out of it as soon as possible and just say, I'm, I'm resigning. I'm uh, recommending a public inquiry. And that would be the best thing for him to do for his long-term reputation. Uh, he's stuck now. If he doesn't recommend it, he's just going to make himself look worse than yeah. he already does by accepting this job of examining his own friends, family friends actions. Duff Conacher with us, co-founder of Democracy Watch, where we are in Ottawa today. Duff, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. Take care. The visit with uh, President Joe Biden, the sleepover last night and the dinner tonight is is taking a lot of this stuff off the headlines, like the $6,000 a night hotel room, which we just got confirmed today was, in fact, the uh, prime minister and his wife that stayed at the uh, River, Riverside Suite for the uh, the Queen's uh, funeral, unfortunately. All right. So um, uh, in reaction to what we've been hearing, the MP that has uh, stepped down from Don Valley North uh, in regard to the allegations that apparently he had talked to Chinese officials saying delay releasing the two Michaels. It'll benefit the conservatives if you do it too early. To talk about all of this and where we are now and where CSIS finds itself, Phil Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, distinguished fellow with the University of Ottawa's National Security Program and a former CSIS analyst with us now. Phil, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am, Scott. It's been a while. How are you, sir? So far, so good. Phil, you must be just shaking your head with all of this stuff that comes out. It seems every day there's another shoe to drop. Oh, Scott, you don't know the numbers of requests I've had to talk about this stuff. It really is it's befuddling, to say the least, in terms of the government response to this. And as you say, every day is a, a new sort of manifestation of it. And I, I just don't know where this whole thing's going to end up. But Bottom line, sir, is it just doesn't look very good in terms of the government's ability to understand the intelligence that it's provided with and and to use that to take uh, more effective action. Uh, now, after this uh, information came out about this uh, this MP and the, the chatter around the two Michaels and delaying their release, uh, the Trudeau government came out uh, today and said that there was no actionable evidence after it received a CSIS transcript of an early 2021 conversation. Now, they said they didn't know anything about this, but I guess we could be splitting hairs and we could say, about this specific situation they didn't know anything about but you know some are even questioning the alleged source i mean uh, and i found it interesting thomas mulcair former liberal or sorry former ndp leader said on ctv um because it is a top secret situation you're probably not going to hear a lot of verification from these sources but what is telling is that nobody's really denying it what are your thoughts well, let's let's get back to this phrase "actionable intelligence," Scott. Uh, it's not ev- uh, actionable intel. Uh, sorry, evidence. It's not evidence. It's intelligence. And in Canada, mm. the two are very, very different. CSIS, where I used to work, doesn't collect evidence. It's an intelligence organization, 
it, it collects intelligence and it's law enforcement that collects evidence. So first of all, let's get our terminology right. Secondly, uh, it looks from what I have seen, and of course I haven't seen the actual, the original information, but it looks what we're talking about here is information that CSIS would have gathered under a federal court warrant. So for your listeners' information, CSIS has the authority under the CSIS Act to go to a federal court and get authorization for an intercept of, of communications. That's what this seems to be. So in other words, what it, what it appears to me and to many people is this is simply the summary of a conversation that was held between the Chinese consul in Toronto and a Liberal MP. So I'm not sure exactly what there is to question in terms of the you know the verifiability of the information in the first place. Um, what are your thoughts in regard to the leaks? Because that's a sep- you know that's also a problem. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like CSIS is trying is screaming and nobody's listening. Yeah. So you know, as somebody who worked in the business for more than thirty years with two organizations, CSE and CSIS, I, I am you know uh, beholden and under oath not to leak information that that is sensitive or top secret in nature, and I will carry that oath to my grave. So I can't support the decision to do this. However, I do understand the frustration behind it, and I sense a frustration that's only growing when governments ignore intelligence because it's inconvenient, doesn't fit the narrative that they want to to portray, or in this case seems to point out some really, really problematic behavior. I can see why people are saying, well, what do we need to do to get to be heard? So again, I don't support it based on my past, but I I understand why someone might take a move of that nature. Uh, many or some are questioning the accuracy because it is one reporter with Sam Cooper from Global or Robert Fife from uh, the Globe and Mail and such. Nobody else is really on it. All the other organizations are quoting these people, but they're, they're saying they can't find any sources or evidence of it. What about the accuracy of all of this? Or is it back to what Mulcair said? No one's denying it. Well, exactly. And it's not it's not a matter of whether Pfeiffer, Cooper are reliable sources. The original information came from CSIS. And as I said, mm. given the, the nature of what's been released, it looks like it was a summary of a conversation which was collected under a federal court warrant. So unless you're accusing CSIS of being incapable of having the linguists responsible to understand what was being said and provide a summary, why is why is the source being questioned? This is not hearsay, Scott. This is a, an actual piece of intelligence that's been produced. So this notion that it's inaccurate or hasn't been confirmed doesn't really fly. I, I can't see why the government is trying to rely on that particular aspect of the situation. Are you surprised that the other networks haven't jumped on this, that they don't have somebody looking into it, that there isn't a source for them? Well, I can bet that lots of organizations are looking for it. Perhaps even CHML, Scott, is trying to get their own sources on this. But Sam Cooper's Co- our Co- Sam Cooper's our guy, man. We're with Global, so there you go. Oh, there you go. Okay, <laughs> I apologize. Um, obviously, what what Sam is doing and what Robert are doing and Stephen Chase is, um, you know, I think it's it's reporting at its best. They've got great information. They're sharing it with Canadians. Will there be other people that decide to take this route? Um, I, I hope not from the earlier perspective that, you know, the people mm-hmm. did sign oaths like I did, but I'm sure the, the race is on to try and find more information because the government, again, is kicking the can down the road. And when the prime minister says there's nothing to see here, uh, he, he's incorrect. And I think it's just embarrassing that we have a government that can't take intelligence for what it's worth. Uh, obviously calls for a public inquiry from the uh, opposition. We know where we are with David Johnston in that. Then all of a sudden this information comes out yesterday. House of Commons holds about enough's enough. We got to have a public inquiry. Is that the only way to get to the bottom of this? Is there a way to do this without exposing Canada's deep, dark secrets? 
I'm neutral on that, Scott. I think that, you know, enough information has already been made available that China has interfered in our elections. China is interfering with our electoral process. China is interfering with our democracy. I don't really care if there's a public inquiry or a half public inquiry or a secret inquiry. Let's just simply take the necessary steps to, you know, not just to tell China this is not right, but if necessary to start, you start punting Chinese diplomats and saying this is not consistent with your presence here in Canada. And if there are Canadians involved, then maybe we got to start, you know, arresting people and laying charges under aspects of the criminal code for cooperating with a foreign power interfering in our democracy. Uh, what about the allegations that the PMO knew, the prime minister's office knew about this, and this has been going on for the last two elections? That's what bothers me the most. And this points, I think we've spoken about this in the past, Scott. We have a very poor intelligence culture here in Canada. And by that, what I mean is that governments don't understand intelligence. They don't value it. They're not sure how to use it. They distrust it. They ignore it, whatever. I, You know, ignorance... It, Maybe if that's the case, there's something wrong with the system whereby information that's been passed on is not making its way to the prime minister. So that has to be looked at. But the, the bottom line is, is that the information was passed on to senior positions within the Canadian government. If it wasn't acted upon, it's not CSIS's fault it wasn't acted upon. There's something wrong with the government. And we have to go right back to first principles and say, here's intelligence. We've confirmed it. We believe in it. It's valid. You need to do something with it. All right. On a lighter note, Phil, uh, a lot of people have been talking about the number of vehicles in the president's entourage. I understand. I understand there's more vehicles in the entourage than there was at the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, your thoughts on the security around the day and around this 48 hours? Well, it's just it's the soup du jour. It's what it's what has to happen when, you know, yeah. the, the, the head of the, the, the globe's leading power is here in town. It's not it's not fun. Thankfully, I don't live in Ottawa anymore. I'm in a small village outside of Ottawa. I don't have to deal with it. But it happens when, the, when whenever he comes to town and we just deal with it and move on. And when he goes home, we can all get out and go back and, you know, buy our baguettes on Saturday morning, I suppose. <laughs> Phil Gursky with us, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, distinguished fellow with the University of Ottawa's National Security Program and former CSIS analyst. Phil, always fun. Thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. You too, sir. Take care. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after the 6 o'clock news. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He is here now. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Hey, it's Friday. We're always well on a Friday. On an Around the Bay uh, road race yes. weekend, too. And Dave Woodard, look at that guy, man. He's going in. He's running the full thing, the full meal deal. Good for him. We're cheering for him. All right. Um, obviously, the president of the United States in uh, Ottawa today, I understand his uh, motorcade and his entourage was actually bigger than any Freedom Convoy, <laughs> um, but that's another story. Uh, and also, uh, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation took the government to court to find out who, in fact, stayed in that $6,000 a night hotel room for five nights on the Thames during the uh, Queen Elizabeth funeral and memorial uh, services and such. And uh, they released it today just as the uh, president was here. So hopefully it gets buried in the sauce. But it was the prime minister who, in fact, stayed and his wife in the $6,000 a night uh, hotel room for five nights. Your thoughts? 
you expected it was someone else? Well, the governor general quickly came out and said, it ain't us, because that would be the next logical choice. But apparently, no, it wasn't her. So I guess all fingers pointed to him. My point is, why the hell do we have to go through all this? Why does he lie and and cheat and fake it and whatever? Just say, you know what? Uh, yeah, we got screwed. And, um, you know, um, just like when the Super Bowl comes to town, prices of hotels go through the roof. And- I mean, why, why, make us, why make the Canadian t- Tax Federation take them to court before they decide to do it? Uh, I don't know. I guess so they can talk about it when joe biden comes to town and it'll get lost but yeah it just yeah. i think people are just tired of this and then considering what's going on it's like you don't know who to believe with it or what to believe with this guy well and and, and the story was and we're going to be talking about this next hour with this topic the, the the issue to me is yeah okay it was really stupid to choose to do that because you know that eventually people are going to find out and you don't need to do that yeah you know you're not the you know the sultan of whatever i mean but how many times was the government asked about this Maybe. and wouldn't answer and wouldn't answer and put it off and tried to hide it? And we heard they, you know, made every effort to try and keep the name secret. For what? What, like, if you know and if it's going to come out anyway, it just seems all you've done now is, you know, Scott, have you ever received one of those emails that comes to you and then immediately there's a follow-up email that says, please do not open yeah. the previous email. I sent it to the wrong person. What's the first thing you do? What did you say? You open up the previous email to go, oh, man, now I'm interested. Yeah. Now I want to see what it is. The, all the ducking and weaving and bobbing and not all that made everyone want to do is find out more who stayed there? If you had simply answered the question in the first place, it's, yeah, it's a bad day, but it goes away after a day because there's so many other things that are issues going on. I just, I just, I just, whoever's offering the media advice, my goodness, they, they need to, I think, be revisited as far as the excellence or not, because they're not doing a very good job. And as you mentioned, if you keep punting it down the road, well, now we're questioning the government on election interference and one of its MPs and what it did know and didn't know in the last two elections. So there's a myriad of trust issues around the prime minister right now. This just throws onto the pile. I mean, you know, we're talking about election interference and uh, allegedly an MP who said, keep the Michaels detained because it will benefit uh, conservatives, if you let them out early, I mean, between that and a $6,000 a night hotel room, there, there's no transparency. They just lie. Well, and, it, I, and, yeah. and, and, and at the end of the day, it's like this is just now going to all explode at once as opposed to layered over the course of a year or so. Okay. And so let me go back to my media advisor person here because somebody decided that the day that all this stuff was going on, this is the moment we should release this because... <laughs> as Biden comes to town. <laughs> well, as China's going on and Biden is coming into... Like the, it, somebody thought that this was a brilliant strategy, that today was the day to do this because nobody will notice. Mm. It didn't really work out, did it? Well, and many have said that, you know, really, I've asked many, I've asked many academics over the course of the week, uh, how much will they talk about security? How much will they talk about China? Oh, nothing, nothing at all, nothing at all. And then, uh, you know, Biden makes a Freudian slip when referring to Canada and calls them China. Can we play that clip? Will, you got it handy? Listen to this really quick. This is the uh, the, uh, president earlier on addressing the House of Commons and misplaces the name uh, Canada for China. So today... I applaud China for stepping up. Excuse me. I applaud Canada. <laughs> Easy mistake to I make, mean, Scott. You can tell what I'm thinking. 
And and he follows it up by saying, you can tell what I'm thinking. So this is totally top of mind for the guy, and we're pretending like it's not. Yeah, it, it, well, as, as, you know, easy mistake to make. Um, some sure. are joking because of everything going on. Like, it just, it, it's such a pile on of stuff right now that, again, may, maybe somebody decided, look, if we just dump everything today, by next week, everybody will have forgotten because something else will come up. Well, if if that's the strategy, that there's going to be something else bigger waiting in the wings to come up, that's, boy, that is, uh, oh that's my. a little daunting. All right. Uh, Scott Radley coming up after the 6 o'clock news. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. As always, Scott, thanks for the time. Have a great show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. It's Will Weber behind the board. I got sick because it's so gross on public transit. Please keep washing your hands like it's COVID again. Please also keep right except to pass. 